1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Biblical Anarchy podcast, a project of the Libertarian Christian Institute and part of the Christians for Liberty Network. This weekend, every week on Biblical Anarchy, we seek to live counterculture to the empire of man and instead seek the kingdom of God by unpacking what the Bible teaches about government, authority, and human relationships. I am your host, Jacob Daniel Winograd. So we have... Another Freedom Fest interview for you, and I believe this is the last one. So we finally gotten through all of these. For this last interview, you're going to hear the conversation I had with Ms. Karen Ann Harlows. Karen Ann is the secretary of the Libertarian National Committee and a long-term member of the Libertarian Party, the sort of unofficial historian of the Libertarian Party as well, and a good friend, Karen Ann I've been on my old podcast and we had had a conversation there, which I'll have a link in the show notes for. In this conversation, we got to sit down and catch up and talk a little bit about what's going on with the Libertarian Party, as well as I had the opportunity to sort of ask Karen Ann some questions about things going on in the country, her take on nationalism and Christian nationalism, since that was the focus of our presence at Freedom Fest, and dive into a couple other topics as well. As always, if these conversations are things that you enjoy listening to, LCI would greatly appreciate if you would go to biblicalanarchypodcast.com and consider donating one time or having a monthly reoccurring donation of $10 or more, which would make you an LCI insider, which comes with a lot of perks and allows you to see some of the behind the scenes of what is going on, including attending our LCI Insider Meetings, where you get to talk with our podcast hosts and the people in the leadership of the Libertarian Christian Institute. So that's all I got for an introduction today. I hope you enjoy this conversation with Karen and Harlos. And again, this will be the last of the Freedom Fest interviews, and then we'll be going back to our normally scheduled programming. Well, hello everyone. I am Jacob Winograd here with the Libertarian Christian Institute at Memphis, Tennessee Freedom Fest. And I am joined by the one and only and legendary Karen Ann Harlow, Secretary of the Libertarian National Committee. Karen Ann, thanks for joining me. How are you doing?
2: I'm doing good, super tired, but thank you for having me. I
1: know. You've been wandering the halls all day, (laughs) running a. Like the ghost of Christmas past. Well, uh, Karen, I don't know how many Freedom Fests you've been to. What are your thoughts on this Freedom Fest and just all the different groups that are here and uh, the interactions you've had so far?
2: Well, this is my only one. Okay, so I don't this have is my any- first one too. So Yeah, no baseline of comparison. Super enjoying it. Everyone seems super nice and very professionally done.
1: Yeah, I would agree. Yeah, it's been really cool. I've been to a lot of like, you know, libertarian party conventions and things like that, but this has a bigger convergence of different groups and stuff. So it's been really cool to meet different people and network with them. So what's going on with the uh, Libertarian Party these days? You know, that's a big question. The big question, right. You have 30 <laughs> seconds. <No. laughs> but what do you guys got going on? You guys got a table a little bit down that's actually within eyesight of where we're at right now. But uh, what's the party doing? What are you guys focusing on these days?
2: Well, you know, we're getting ready for the convention, our national convention. So that's going to be a huge thing. Our convention theme just got chosen, which is become ungovernable. Okay. So I'm glad we have a good theme. Yes. (laughs) You know, because libertarians writing themes. It's like sometimes they're (laughs) 10 sentences long and it's like, I don't think you understand the purpose of a theme. (laughs) So I'm very glad we ended up with that rather than quoting all of Hayek or something like that. So that was nice. And I know we're focusing, I don't know if Angela's released details yet, but focusing on another anti-war rally, hopefully. You know, that's a big, big focus of awesome. ours.
1: Yeah, no, thats it's definitely been, from my perspective, and also I think all of us at LCI have been glad to see the LP be more bold and engaged in the anti-war movement and especially with just everything going on with Russia and Ukraine. I actually sat down with Scott Horton earlier to talk with him a little bit about all of that. So that's all great and good. Karen, we're here at Freedom Fest, Libertarian Christian Institute. We're doing a couple Mm -hmm. sessions tomorrow on nationalism. So I know you are a Christian and a libertarian as well. So I thought it would be good while I have you here, just get your thoughts on the growing sentiments of nationalism, both kind of like in the country, broadly speaking, but Mm -hmm. also I'm sure you've seen the growing prize of Christian nationalism within the world of Christianity. So what are your thoughts on that? Are there some good, some bad elements to both of those? And what do you think we should be doing as Christians and libertarians in response? Well,
2: what's funny, it's no secret that I haven't been a big fan And listen, they're big boys. They can handle it. haven't been a big fan of Reason Magazine lately, but they actually put out a really good article the other day. I don't know if you saw it, on Christian anarchism versus Christian nationalism and quoted some early church fathers. I think it was Tertullian, but I might be mistaken, but really talking about like the anti-nationalist sentimonies of early Christians. So when you hear some of these more theocratic or nationalistic people saying, well, we got to get back to an earlier time in that article, he goes, how about getting back to an even earlier Earlier time, And I was really impressed by that, by that article. I think nationalism, in the way it's normally expressed, not love of countrymen, that's natural, but this weird... You know what I'm saying. It's it's idolatrous. Yes. And it's funny. I'm reading Michael Malice's The Anarchist Handbook, and I can't remember one of the essay's last names, but the first name was Mikhail. And the funny thing is, he's utter communist, and he was arguing against Marx. But a lot of what he said, I think, is applicable. He kind of made the analogy that the state makes itself the center of morality, and it kind of gets me into that whole, you know, is what God does good? Because he does it, or is it good, you know, that whole yes. that whole thing. Yes. But he kind of analogized that, at least to me, where it said everything the state does is good, and the state is the measure of all morality, and we call this new morality and this new religion patriotism. And that, I thought, was so, so powerful. The minute you mix the state with the church, I think you're getting nightmare fuel.
1: Yeah, it's all in defining terms. And I think a lot of Christian nationalist types I just got done reading Stephen Wolf's book, The Case for Christian Nationalism, which, boy, without a doozy. Mm-hmm. But uh, a lot of what they try to do is like, well, we're a nation, right? A nation, just a group of people. And we should just want everyone to be Christian, right? So, yeah, you're a Christian nationalist. It's like, well, okay, that's a very good front. But when you look past it, nationalism doesn't just mean a love for people around right. you. You know, there's more to it than that. I guess some of the nuance that comes in, although I have issues with Christian nationalism, which we can get more into, but then you have things like Brexit. You have things like, you know, there's the Texit people here, yes. and they want Texas to be its own sovereign nation. And, and there's I know,
2: Flexit for Florida.
1: Oh, okay. I haven't heard of that one.
2: Yes, that's the best one ever. That <laughs> name is just perfect. That's a
1: pretty good name. Yeah. But yeah, I wonder, and I know the Libertarian Party has also been more lately talking about the right to secession, yes. the right to freedom of association and and self-determination. So is there a baby in the bathwater there in terms of nationalism where it can be okay in certain contexts? Or is that less about nationalism and just more about moving the ball in the right direction in terms of promoting decentralization?
2: Well, I'm going to say something that's anathema to a lot of libertarians. But I've come to believe, and it's caused me to detest the phrase that everyone is a libertarian and they just don't know it. I don't think that's true. I think it's super arrogant and offensive to say, I think a lot of people really do love the state and they know exactly what they're doing and they love it. So that's why I've become like one of the people who do the hashtag national divorce quite a bit. And it isn't to be contrarian and it isn't because I have some love of breaking up the country or anything that it's out of a love of everyone getting what they want. I think Mm -hmm. everyone can get what they want. Not everyone's a libertarian and we shouldn't want to force that on them because freedom means people can choose to be less free. So... I do think some kind of breakup into where everyone can win is actually the more Christian solution rather than trying to force everyone into your paradigm. If the commies want the commie paradise, I want them to have that. If they don't want to be libertarians, how libertarian is it to force them to? Actually, the most libertarian thing I think you can do is say, okay, be free, you know, go be free to do your socialism thing, communism thing. Just don't force me to do that.
1: Right. Right. Yeah.
2: We're too big to let everyone win. I did a show the other day, I don't know if you had heard it, on Chekhov's gun. And I think that's the problem with the country. The minute you put the state gun on the table, someone's going to pick it up. Because they know if they don't pick it up, someone else is going to pick it up. And that's where we're at right now.
1: Yeah. No, I agree. When people talk about secession and breaking up and whatnot, it reminds me of Romans 12, where it says to live at peace with all as far as it depends on you. Right. And I think that in that is, I think, implicitly the call to the right to freedom of association. Because if you have irreconcilable differences, well, then your only choices are to separate or you're going to end up in some sort of conflict and you're not going to be at peace. And again, some people, I think, don't like the divorce language, but it's like, you know what, marriage is one thing. That's a Christian institution. Right. The nation state is not a Christian institution you know, you can believe in the sanctity of marriage and think that's not something that should be at least lightly considered to be something easily broken up. But a group of people, whether that's a church, whether that's a nation, whether that's a business or whatever, there's absolutely, a, I think, a God-given right to break those apart as need be if people aren't able to maintain those groups because of differences, so...
2: And I use that language because that is what became popular. Yeah. And unfortunately, like, the horrible sins of the Civil War ruined the word secession. Yeah. You know, I'm really bitter about that because it's a good word, but they used it for such an evil deed. It's like nobody today is going to name their kid Judas. Yeah. You know? <laughs> he ruined it for everybody, that guy, you know? Yep. So, the South ruined the word secession. So... To be hashtag secession just makes you look like you left your white hood or something (laughs) at home. So national divorce is what's become popular. I don't care for that term, but there hasn't really been a better one.
1: Right, exactly. You know, either one, it opens the door to conversation, and we have to do that a good job of backing that up and distinguishing what we mean by it. Going back to Christian nationalism, You know, I agreed with what you said earlier, that it's anathema, I think, to Christian principles. You think that it's as simple as a lot of, like, right-wing conservative evangelicals are just tired of being pushed around by the woke liberals, and so this is just a reactionary thing. They're picking up the gun. The gun's in the table, so people are going to fight over it.
2: I'm going to give an analogy of a friend of mine in the Libertarian Party. Not a Christian nationalist or anything, but I always think of these weird analogies. And he's an anarchist like I am, and he actually is one of the people that pushed the Portland massacre in 2006. Wow. (laughs) But his view was he wanted the party to be more inclusive and directional rather than destinational. And he said the platform that we ended up with ended up being like a Franken platform that's both. And he goes, "Okay, if we're going to be destinational while I'm an anarchist, then that's, that's what I want. So I think that's part of what's going on now. People are going, well, if the woke people are taking it in this direction, well, I'm this. And if this is how we're going to play, it's got to be one or the other. Well, then I'm going to want it to go my way.
1: Right. And that's a lot of like what I've I've heard Stephen Wolf and other Christian nationalist types talk about. They're essentially using like a critical theory, identity politics sort of yeah. argument, but just like the left does, but just saying we believe that we should use the civil powers to protect victim groups and to protect the interests of those groups. We just think that it should be for the church or for Christian interests or something like that. But I just think, for me, I get really especially offended by the Christian nationalist types because I'm just like, your pairing of the word Christian and nationalist, it's like, we must be reading two different Bibles because the Jesus of Nazareth that I read in my Bible, Christ... He was not a nationalist, or if he was, his nation or his kingdom, he said, was not of this world. Right. It, that is why the Jews rejected him as Messiah, at least the Jews of his time and, and whatnot, was that he didn't come to usher in a Jewish nation or a right. godly nation here on earth. He came to and establish And was a, that
2: in the Old Testament. and right. that, And that's the juxtaposition. I know, okay, we're going to get into some theology some people might not agree with. Fine, whatever, disagree with me. But I firmly believe that the church is Israel. People will call it replacement theology. I view expansion theology because Israel still Israel too. Israel wasn't taken away. Israel was grown
0: to yeah. include
2: more people and if for it to be a spiritual kingdom rather than sheerly the earthly manifestation of it that it was in the Old Testament. It was the type and the anti-type. And it looks like Christians say are wanting to go back right. to what it was in the Old Testament. They were longing for kings and all that kind of thing, and and God condemned that.
1: Yes, yes, he called it idolatry, essentially, (laughs) saying you're rejecting me as your king, which is funny because I'll hear the Christian nationalist types be like, oh yeah, you know, Christ is our king, and, and therefore we need to go and subdue the world in his name. It's like, no, 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 the gospel message is to go and feed the poor, provide shelter, for the homeless, to care for the widow and the orphan, and to go out there and serve the least of these, to be servants to the world. Right. Jesus modeled that true authority wasn't to what he told the apostles in Mark 10, 42, don't be like the Gentiles who want to seek these positions of power to rule and lord over one another, but to be the greatest among you, you must be a servant. It's like, well, that's not the use of the sword. You don't serve people with a sword. <laughs> You serve people by the example of washing their feet. And so, to me, the only type of sensible Christian nationalism that could exist would necessarily have to be Christian libertarianism, because if you made nationalism subordinate to Christianity, well, Christianity just subsumes all of it, and it would have to be subservient to the example of Christ.
2: And it's funny that a lot of the Christian nationalists are very, very patriotic, however, One of the things enshrined, and I'm not going with the freedom of religion angle, I'm going with the freedom of speech angle. The minute you have Christian nationalism, you have to have suppression of speech because God said it is a conversation killer. So the minute you have somebody who disagrees, well, God said it and conversation is done. Now, obviously, I believe in God said it, but I don't believe in silencing people who don't believe that. They have the same freedoms that I do. I actually worry about, in a Christian nationalist, the fate of atheists, the fate of people who don't believe. That's just not the Christian way. I believe in free will, and I think also it will bring like the the outward show of righteousness, where you have this nation that has all of these symbols and stuff, but inwardly, like just like the Pharisees, your whitewashed tombs full of dead man's bones. Yes.
1: Yeah. hundred percent. Karen, as we're wrapping up here, we're still a ways out, but what do you think of the upcoming election? What role is whatever Libertarian Party mm-hmm. candidate we're going to have? I mean, we're still really far off from yeah. that. But what do you think are the key issues that libertarians or whatever presidential candidate the LP ends up nominating needs to focus on to really make an impact in the political conversation in the upcoming year?
2: A lot of people will disagree with me, but I don't think they tailor their message necessarily to whatever the issues of the day are. I think they need to tailor their message to what core libertarianism is because it'll apply to any issue. And a lot of people, well, that will turn people off. There are a lot of people out there. Now, I don't think everybody, because I don't think everyone's a libertarian, but there are so many people out there who are just dying to hear somebody say an actual libertarian thing. And our candidates tend to be terrified to say an actual libertarian thing because they're worried about pandering. But you're not going to win. A friend of mine, Mark Bontoni, wrote an article that was entitled, Why Hold Back If You're Not Going to Win? yeah. It's like you're pandering for nothing. Again, with a biblical analogy, you're selling your birthright for a pole of pottage.
1: Right, or it's like the parable of the talents where the man with the one talent just buries it in the dirt. And the the master says, I would have rather you gone out there and tried to grow it and failed than to just sit on it and to do nothing.
2: Exactly. So I think whoever a candidate has to be, they have to be a bold, fearless proclaimer of liberty and not worry about offending people liberty is going to offend some people, but the people it won't, they're going to blossom when they hear that.
1: Isn't there such a parallel between that and, like, I think how you and I would probably agree on the right way to do Christian evangelism? Because Christians have this problem, too. I think so many yeah. Christians want to spread the gospel through pandering to people and, like, like, they're embarrassed to be Christian. But rather, it's like, no, I think the way you do it is to just boldly sit on the truth of the identity yeah. of Jesus right. Christ. I don't believe the in cross.
2: seeker-sensitive libertarianism, just right. like I don't believe in the seeker-sensitive church. Right. Because I use this expression, I don't remember who said it. I think it was Hank Hanegraaff, actually, the Bible Answer Man. He said, what you win people with is what you win them to. Yes. And I'm pretty sure that was Hank Hanegraaff. I might not be correct on that, but I used to listen to him quite a bit.
1: Well, that's a great way to end this. Karen, thank you so much for stopping by and talking with us. And uh, thank you everyone for listening. Please be tuning in to all the different interviews we're doing here at Freedom Fest this 2023 here in Memphis, Tennessee. Thanks again. Awesome,
2: thank you.
0: Thank you. The Biblical Anarchy Podcast is a part of the Christians for Liberty Network, a project of the Libertarian Christian Institute. If you love this podcast, it helps us reach more with a message of freedom when you rate and review us on your favorite podcast apps and share with others. If you want to support the production of the Biblical Anarchy Podcast, please consider donating to the Libertarian Christian Institute at biblicalanarchypodcast.com, where you can also sign up to receive special announcements and resources related to biblical anarchy. Thanks for tuning in.